0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Uh, If you've got a a Bible app, if you've got the TOLC app, get on your live notes, get on uh, your Bible app and go to Mark 8. 27 through 34. We're going to read a big passage of scripture and then we're going to dive into it and kind of talk about it a little bit. Mark 8, verses 27 through 34 in the New Living Translation. Here we go. So Jesus had just healed a blind man. Let me set the story for you. And it says, And Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. Now, if you read in another account of the gospel in Matthew, the beautiful thing about the four gospels is they're not necessarily four different sets of stories, but actually in a court of law, if everybody's story about what happened in a particular incident, is exactly the same, it actually raises questions because they may have come together and made up that story together. Does that make sense? So the beautiful thing about the Gospels is it's four different perspectives of what happened. It's not always exactly the same things being retold because you see something from a different lens than I see something. So if you look at the same story in Matthew, Jesus actually pauses when Peter says this, and he says, Peter, actually, his name was Simon. And he changes his name. He says, Peter, I'm going to call you Peter, which is rock, because on this rock, I'll build my church. And really what I believe him to be talking about is the revelation of who Jesus is. That's the rock he's going to build his church on. He says, blessed are you. Man didn't reveal this to you. God revealed this to you. Could you imagine if Jesus was like, you did not get that from people. You heard that directly from God. You'd be like, yes, I did. That's awesome. Everybody ought to recognize that. You know what I'm saying? But here's why this is so important for me to interject that. I don't know how long, how much time passed between this whole exchange about Jesus being the Christ, the son of the living God and this part, but I want you to get this. This is the very next part. It says... Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside, and he began to reprimand him for saying such things. So Peter says, oh, Jesus, come here. And this word, I was actually reading about it when it says reprimand here. What it's really referring to, if you look at the original language of it, is potentially it's actually talking about, if you had somebody that you cared for, you could reprimand them in a certain way that shows your care, right? Like, if you knew somebody who, let's say that they uh, were really down on themselves, let's say it was me, Uh, I bombed every lyric on a Sunday morning, and I came off stage, and I was like, that was the worst Sunday I've ever sung in my life. And my wife would be like, don't say that about yourself. That's totally not true. She would kind of reprimand me, but because she cared. Well, that's kind of what Peter was doing. He took Jesus off to the side. He was pretty firm about it. He began to reprimand him. And Jesus turned around. So Peter has the grace to bring Jesus to the side and try to correct him, which is obviously not a good idea. So Jesus turns around, looks at his disciples, brings them into the picture, and he says, he reprimands Peter. Get away from me, Satan. Satan don't say that to your kids when they're annoying you, please. (laughs) He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, Jesus isn't being rude to Peter. He's just saying, listen, we've got to see things from God's perspective. And by the way, you don't have the authority to reprimand me. We're close, but we're not like that close. You know what I'm saying? Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus says, so he called the disciples to pay attention. He reprimands Peter. Then he calls the crowd to join the disciples and he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. This is not spiritual, but every time I read that scripture, I think of that Fleetwood Mac song. You can go your own way. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but lose your own soul? How many times have we gained what we thought we wanted, but we ended up in the process losing what we really needed? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Jesus. And God, I thank you that people took the time to write down what happened in Jesus' life and ministry. Because really, it's the model for how we're to live today. God, we don't want to live the way that we think is right. We don't want to live the way that culture tells us is right or people tell us is right. We want to live the Jesus way. So God help us to do that today. God help us to understand what discipleship really means following you in Jesus name. Everybody said amen. Amen. So we're doing this series called define the relationship and you may have seen that title and gone what have you ever watched a romance just kind of begin to blossom ladies, when they see this stuff, they're like, ha ha, they love it. Like, it's so cute. And guys are like, man, I think they're in love. Like, we try to play it off, you know? If you ever watch something just kind of begin to grow, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful thing to watch from the outside looking in. It's pretty cool. But here's what I know about relationships. In every relationship, there are moments in which you must define the relationship. Is that correct? There are defining moments in this relationship where things need to be said or done. You have to define the terms of this relationship, what it's gonna look like. For instance, my wife and I, we just celebrated last week two years of being married, which was really cool. First service, I said, I think it was last week. And I looked down and she said, I don't know. Uh, Because, yeah. And uh, so we just celebrated two years of marriage last week. And uh, it's kind of funny, our story is... It's, a lot of it's really funny. It wasn't always perfectly easy, but a lot of it is really, really funny. So we were in our 20s. Neither of us had ever been in a serious dating relationship. We just had never found a person or had gone that route. Um, our friends kind of set us up, right? Um, so here's kind of what happened. They did one of those whole things of we're coming back from Austin, and everybody had carpooled in two separate cars. And trickling effect, like, one by one, people were like, actually, I'm gonna ride with so-and-so. Oh, I'm gonna ride with so-and-so too. And so it was just us two in the car. They did that whole thing and they, they made it a big deal. So we had never been in a very serious dating relationship or anything like that. So we come to this point about a month later where we need to decide, well, Cody needs to decide, if we're gonna be dating for real or if we're just gonna be friends, right? So I am an artist, uh, If you don't know, I'm the creative arts pastor here, so I like to make things look pretty and be awesome. So what I did, because I'm an artist, I was like, this is going to be awesome. I actually tried to do this before. I'm not even going to tell you about that because it's too embarrassing. Uh, But the second time I tried it... um, if you drive in downtown New Braunfels right now, they're, they're putting up all the Christmas lights, right? Everybody loves this time of year where the Christmas lights go up and the hot chocolate is in the air and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so they had, it was a little bit later in November, they had, um, I believe it was November, I don't remember, November 28th, maybe. They had this, um, they had all the Christmas lights up. It was beautiful. So I took Christy down there um, to the gazebo, lights are up. I made hot chocolate because she loves sugar. uh, as her favorite. And so I was like, this is going to be beautiful. So we go down there, the lights are up. We're in the gazebo. I've got hot chocolate. And I was going to ask her to be my girlfriend. Everybody say, aw. (laughs) The only thing was, is that I, um, I kind of, guys were like, I'm not saying that. Uh, The only thing was, is that I, I kind of freaked out. Um, And I ended up really not asking her there. I ended up kind of having like a therapy session where I just bounced stuff off of her and I was like, hey, uh, I don't know, I'm so scared. And I really kind of treated her like she was a counselor. Um, And then we left, but we drank the hot chocolate. Um, So it got to the point where we left this, the gazebo and it was super beautiful and I blew my chance. And I took her back to her car and her car was parked at Hobby Lobby. If you know New Braunfels, there was an old location where Hobby Lobby was, next to Cece's and the sketchy Whataburger. Her car was parked there, and I take her to her car, and I remember we're sitting there, and she says, We're still talking about it, because I just I'm still processing hours later. And she says, You know, you're not asking me to marry you. <laughs> and I was like, Okay. And so I asked her to be my girlfriend in the Hobby Lobby parking lot next to the sketchy Whataburger. Don't laugh at me, because you know that you've had these moments too. I want to say for public record, my mom did not raise me that way, right? And I want to say, guys, there's better location than the Whataburger parking lot, you know? But here's the deal. It was a defining moment in our relationship. I overcame the fear of the unknown and what about and I've never done this and and we walked into it together. But there were more defining moments of our relationship along the way. There came a point where we began to talk about marriage and then there came a point where I proposed and there came a point where we began to plan a wedding and boy, is that a lot. And then there came a point where we got married and made a commitment. There are defining moments in your relationship. You must define these relationships, right? And I see right here in this passage that three times Jesus defines the relationship with people. He says, who do you say that I am? Defining the relationship. Then he corrects Peter. And that's a, that's a relationship definer for sure because he says, listen, I love you. I appreciate you. I affirmed how amazing you are, but you don't have the authority to correct me like that. And then thirdly, he calls everybody over and he says, if any of you want to be my followers, in fact, that's our key verse for this series, is Mark 8, verse 34. He says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. And any is a big word. It's all encompassing. If any of you would like to be my follower. Notice he didn't say, if any of you 12 disciples would like to be my follower. I mean, that would make sense. If you know the story, Jesus handpicked these people. In fact, he walked up to Peter while he was on the job as a fisherman. He said, come follow me. And Peter left his job and followed Jesus. He walked up to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors then weren't like tax collectors today. A lot of people today are like, they're ripping me off. Uh, Back then, it was a little bit different. Tax collectors literally would sit there at their booth. They'd charge you a higher amount than the actual tax. They'd pocket the rest, and they made a lot of money. They were cheaters, and everybody hated them, and especially if you were a Jewish tax collector collecting taxes for the Roman government that was oppressing them, nobody liked you. Jesus walked up to this guy named Matthew at his tax collector's booth, and he says, come follow me. Matthew leaves not just his, his wealth, but he leaves his sin And he walks to follow Jesus. It would have made sense for Jesus to say to the 12 disciples, if any of you wants to follow me, you have to give up your own way, take up your cross, and come after me. But he says it, he says, hey crowd, come here, everybody. I want to tell you something. And when he says that word any to a crowd, here's what I believe, that he is saying any to all of us here today as well. He's saying any to you if you're joining us via live stream or Facebook live. He's saying if any of you wants to be my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is saying each person must define their relationship with the one who defines them. What does that mean? Well, if you look in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 14, and then you skip down to 16, King David writes, you made, talking about God, all the delicate inner parts of my body. And you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Some of y'all just looked at your spouse and like, yes, you are complex. I don't get it. Uh, Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Listen, I don't believe um, that God causes bad things to happen in your life, but God is aware of what is going to happen in your life. People say everything happens for a reason. Some things happen because you made a bad choice. And God's aware that you will make a bad choice or two in life, right? Or 2,000 or however many that may be. He sees every day of your life from start to finish. But if you look a couple more verses down, David actually says... How precious are your thoughts about me, God? I can't even number them. David is writing this. David is a guy, if you understand his life story, he had great highlights, but you don't want to see the low points. David, the guy who committed adultery and then had the, the lady's husband killed on the battlefield so that he could cover it up until he got caught by a prophet. David said, you saw every moment of my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, and you still love me just the same. You created me to be wonderful and amazing. You know, if you made a piece of furniture, when we were dating, I I made my wife a coffee table. And we still have that coffee table to this day. If you made a piece of furniture, you determine the use or the purpose of it. You determine the quality of it, the craftsmanship. And you determine the value of it. Sometimes in art, value isn't really about how beautiful the painting is. It's about who painted it, right? And so when we see that God is our maker, people don't determine our value. Our mistakes don't determine our value and our purpose and our potential and our calling. And to be quite honest with you, you may be feeling pretty confident today, but your best day doesn't determine your value either. Because tomorrow could be your worst day, God forbid. But God determines your value. And if you want to know God's appraisal of your value, all you have to do is to look at the cross. Because he sent Jesus when none of us deserved him to die for us. So here's the deal. Jesus has already defined the type of relationship he wants to have with you, but he's waiting for you to respond. In fact, in Revelation verses 19 through 20, Jesus actually says that he corrects people because he loves them. I love that. He establishes, I am the Lord. I have the authority to correct you because I care about you. But then he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. People get tripped up on the concept of being God's friend, but Jesus said it, I didn't say it. If I want to have a business meeting with somebody, I take him out to a restaurant. If I want to hang out with my friend, we cook a meal at my house. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to correct you because I'm your Lord and I love you, but I also want to be your friend. Jesus is the guy who invites himself to everybody's parties, pretty much is what happens there. So God is waiting on you to define the terms of your relationship with him. I know nobody reads terms and conditions on uh, software and pretty much anything anymore. If you don't, if you say that you do read all those terms and conditions, I'm pretty sure that you're lying. Uh, And I I don't mean to call you on that. But if you're getting into a relationship, you need to know the terms and conditions, right? Could you imagine if my wife and I got married and two months later, she goes, oh man, when we said the vows, I thought you said for richer or for -er." (laughs) richer-er. That wouldn't really work out. So you've got to know the terms and conditions that God has established, and then you've got to define whether or not you want to walk in those conditions. And maybe you're saying, listen, I've been following Jesus for a long time. I know all about it. I'm going to challenge you today. Would you just allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? Because maybe there's an area of this that you have yet to fully trust Him in. So here's four things you need to know about following Jesus. Number one, following Jesus is a lifetime commitment. There are different levels of commitment, right? Right? There is Planet Fitness in January commitment. (laughs) There is, which I've done a million times, I'm not judging. Uh, There's henna tattoo commitment where you can wash it off in a week. And then there's like getting a tattoo of Yoda somewhere on your body. You know what I'm saying? Like that's a bad commitment to make and it's a lifetime commitment. You can't undo it. I'm sorry if you have a Star Wars tattoo. It was not a shot at you. But there's lifetime commitment and then there's temporary commitment. And I believe that a commitment to God is a lifetime commitment. When I stood at the altar and I made a vow to my wife, I made a lifetime commitment to love and pursue her. And a commitment to follow Jesus is a lifetime commitment. But here's the deal, can you opt out? Absolutely, but you'd be breaking the vow that you made. In fact, in Mark 8:35, Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. Jesus is saying, give me your temporary life and I'm going to give you eternal life in return. He's saying, give me a lifetime commitment and I'm going to give you an eternal commitment. That's a great trade. But here's the deal. We tend to live in a self-protection or self-preservation mindset. Self-preservation is really ingrained into our society because it works in government. It says, you know what? I've got to protect my freedoms, right? But in the kingdom of God, it's very different. You say, I give up my freedom to serve Jesus. And he makes me more free than I could ever imagine in return. Self-protection looks like this. I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid it will hurt me. But God says, if you just trust me, I've got everything you need. We can't live out of self-preservation or self-protection. We have to have a lifetime commitment to Jesus. When you accept Jesus as your savior and Lord, it means that you are making a commitment to do whatever he asks you to do, whenever he asks you to do it for his glory. Why? Because he's trustworthy. Just look at the fact that he died for you on a cross. Number two, following Jesus is a daily choice. I made a commitment to my wife to be faithful to her until death do us part. But my verbal commitment really means a lot less if it's not backed up by a daily choice to fulfill that commitment. You know, one thing I love that my wife and I say that's pretty cool is um, we don't just say I love you, but sometimes we say, I choose you. Here's the deal, love, a lot of people think it's an emotion that falls on you and it lifts on you once they're annoying you (laughs) or once they do something wrong to you. But really love is a choice. If I were Jesus, I wouldn't have loved me enough to die for me. But Jesus chose. Jesus chose. Here's the thing, life will test your commitment to Christ. Life is going to get in the way and you're not going to know if you if you still want to be in this thing or what. But you have to choose to honor your commitment to Jesus in every moment of every day. And here's what I want you to hear very clearly. You cannot choose this by yourself and succeed. Many of us, myself included, have tried so hard to do it on our own. You grit your teeth and you go for it and you think if I could just be a little bit holier. But the Holy Spirit is the only way you're gonna have the power to choose to commit to Jesus every day. In fact... The Holy Spirit is not just going to empower you, but he's gonna remind you that it's by Jesus's grace that you're here and saved in the first place. It's by Jesus's grace that the Holy Spirit is on the inside of you. And it's only by by his grace that you'll be empowered to live for him. Here's the deal. You will not be perfect, but but commitment is about making the choice to own your mistakes, ask for forgiveness, and grow to make the right choice the next time. So I've offended my wife. I've offended her at times, but that doesn't mean I'm not committed to her. What means I'm committed to her is when I come back and say, I'm sorry. And I wanna work to make it right. Number three, following Jesus is a privilege. Let me ask you this. Maybe you're here today and you would say, I've never given my heart to Jesus. And maybe the reason is, maybe you used to follow Jesus, but you turned from it. Maybe the reason is that you feel like you have to give up too many things to follow him. You feel like you'll have to give up too much fun, too much freedom, whatever that may be. And I want to say this. It's really easy for us who are in church and serving God to have this mentality. Well, yeah, so many people feel that way. They don't want to come follow Jesus because they think it'd be too much freedom given up. Let me ask you this. When's the last time, if you're a church person, when's the last time that you thought, I would have so loved to tell that person off, but I got to be like Jesus. The Holy Spirit wouldn't let me say that to her in the grocery line. I wish I wouldn't have tipped that lady because she was a terrible waitress. But I'm a Christian, or I would have pulled in front of that person. But I have a tree of life sticker on my car, so I can't do it. Right? <laughs> Solution: Don't put one on your car. I'm just kidding. Ah, uh, <laughs> don't do that. Oftentimes, we have this idea that following Jesus is like a task. And I think that's totally incorrect. In fact. Following Jesus isn't a chore, it's a privilege. Listen to what Paul said. He said, by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Paul, if you go and read in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 27, he lists how many times he's been beaten for sharing the good news about Jesus. He lists that people had thrown stones at him until he was supposed to be dead, because he was sharing the good news about Jesus. He was in shipwrecks. So many bad things happened. Did you know that before Paul became a follower of Jesus, he was an influential, well-known, powerful religious leader. He went from influence and power to serving Jesus and being beaten by the same leaders, religious leaders, that he had influence with before. But Paul said, I consider it a grace and a privilege to serve Jesus. It wasn't a chore. He had every right to think of serving Jesus as that, but he didn't. And why? Because nothing is better than serving and glorifying the one who rescued me. If you ever think following Jesus is a chore, ask yourself: what would my life be like if he hadn't saved me? Can I bring this home for you for a second? My parents made a choice of a 23 years ago to follow Jesus. Some lady invited us to church, wouldn't stop. Like, please stop. So they just went and then they made a choice to follow Jesus. If God hadn't intervened in my parents' life, I wouldn't be here today doing this. Where would I be if God hadn't intervened in my life? Now take that scale and say, is it a chore really to follow him? Or is it a joy? How much better is my life because of what Jesus did for me? Number four, following Jesus is an adventure. I don't have a specific verse for this, uh, but all I can say is read stories about people in the Bible. Life was anything but boring for people who followed Jesus or in the Old Testament before Jesus had come to the earth for those who followed God's instructions. I will not sit here and tell you that life was easy for them. A lot of people in our culture today think that adventure is super cool and awesome, but they forget that it's hard. Oh man, they went to Europe. Yeah. And you know what? They're jet lagged right now. Or, oh man, they went to this cool country and they went hiking in this jungle. Yeah. And they got bit by a weird centipede. You know, you don't know what happened along the way. That just came out of nowhere. Um, You don't know what happened along the way. Adventure always has some form of hardship attached to it. We love the story of King David. Anybody know the story of King David killing the giant Goliath when he was a little kid? But we forget that once King David actually was anointed to be king, they told him, you're going to be the next king of your country. They sent him back to the fields to keep taking care of his dad's sheep. It's kind of like if you worked a job that was pretty boring Somebody came and said, hey, good news, you're about to be the president of the United States, but I need you to go back to your boring job for a few more years, and then you'll be the president. We forget about the fact that David was chased by the current king of Israel at the time. And that king was crazy, and he was trying to kill him. We forget about the fact that some people say that David was probably suffering from some sort of depression, living in caves on the run from this crazy king. We forget about the fact that, as we said earlier, David committed adultery and then killed the lady's husband to cover it up and then got caught by the prophet when he was the king. We love the adventure, but we forget about the adversity. Jesus promises that in this world we will have trouble, but that he has already overcome for us. The heroes of the Bible didn't lead easy lives, but they did leave a legacy. Adventure and adversity go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And in fact, if your adventure doesn't have adversity, it probably wasn't a very good adventure. You may have watched a movie and thought you went on an adventure. We can avoid the adversity of discipleship, but here's what we'll forfeit. We will forfeit the adventure of fulfilling our God-given purpose. And I wrote this last night and it impacted me deeply to write this. I've never considered this before. I said, I don't want to die and have them write on my headstone. He was a comfortable man. I want them to write. And here's what I wrote. And I challenge you this week. I want you to write it too, whatever it is for you. This is not fully a full list for me, but he was a man who charged the gates of hell. He created passionate music. He told the world about Jesus. He laid his hands on the sick and watched them recover. What do you want people to write on your headstone? If they wrote an obituary about you tomorrow, what would you want them to write? So the four things we need to know about following Jesus are that number one, it's a commitment. Number two, it's a choice. Number three, it's a privilege. And number four, it's an adventure. It's great to know those terms and conditions. But now we have to do a self-assessment to find out where we are and to define the relationship. That's God's definition for you. But are you gonna accept it? And maybe again, you say, well, I've been following Jesus for decades. Well, I believe that there are defining moments along the way. Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It was a defining moment. But Peter's the same guy that Later on, denied he even knew Jesus. And they had to define the relationship again. And and Jesus had to say, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus had, uh, Peter had to say, Lord, you know I love you. Maybe it's time for a reassessment today. So here are three questions to help gauge where you're at in following Jesus. I ask you, just open your heart to hear these today. And these come from that passage we read. You can find this basic blueprint. Number one, what do I believe about Jesus. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? You cannot live off of other people's opinion about God. You cannot even live off of other people's revelation about who God is. You cannot live off of coming here for an hour and 15 minutes every week. If I was married to my wife, but we only saw each other for an hour and 15 minutes a week, how close do you think we'd be? A.W. Tozer said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Number two, how do I respond when he corrects me? Jesus corrects Peter here, but he does it after affirming the fact that Peter had heard from God. Listen, God never corrects us without reaffirming his love for us. In fact, Proverbs 3.12 says, for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. God always corrects out of his delight for you, not his disappointment. It's very hard for a lot of us to understand that because we've experienced people who corrected solely out of disappointment. But listen, God corrects you because he delights in you, he loves you, and he wants you to fulfill your God-given potential on this earth. He is so proud of you. I can't tell you how much that's been rising up in my spirit for people lately. God is proud of you. God loves you. He is not disappointed in you. He is not frustrated with you. Number three, am I willing to trust and obey him wherever he leads me? Jesus challenges these people to follow his lead. The real test of our trust is our willingness to obey. What I believe about the character of God determines how I act in response to him. If I truly believe that Jesus is perfect and trustworthy, I will follow him wherever he leads. If I truly believe that he has my best interests at heart, I'll follow him. So ask yourself, what is the next step that I need to take in following Jesus? What's holding me back from taking that step? And what am I going to do about it? What's my next step? Whether you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years or you've never, ever given your life to Jesus, what's my next step? What is that thing that God's saying, I need you to trust me in this? What's holding me back from giving it to him? And what am I gonna do about it? We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org